0: White and delightsome. When the Book of Mormon speaks of white and delightsome, its translator means, shining, glittering in gladness, not Caucasian. The Old English version of Genesis speaks of elf sheen, and I suppose that is what our Book of Mormon implies shining, glittering, lucid being. There is no racism here, but a promise of becoming like Amun, and to reside gladly in Amun, the name of Him giving us the name of a realm where His children gather and find rest. The earliest extant versions of the Book of Mormon use white and delightsome. Pure was first substituted for white in the 1840 edition. Notice, in the Book of Mormon that peculiar thing, a white and delightsome people and a dark and loathsome people. It doesn't refer to skin color at all only to countenance, but there's a lot about race in the Book of Mormon. Speaking of the text of an Egyptian who lived a short time before Nephi, the Autobiography of Kai, he refers to himself as hether, meaning white of countenance, and nefer biet, meaning excellent of character, and pekhet, or clean of body and in moral habits. And he shunned everything that was senekwet. The word is very interesting. It means black of countenance, and it also means greed or anything that is evil. Kai used those peculiar terms. He was head hair. He has a picture of a white face, or white of countenance. And he was clean of body, and he eschewed senek wet, that is, what is greedy or what is dark of countenance. White Garments To have the blood and sins of one's generation removed from him. To be purified. To be sanctified by the Lamb, removing from the individual and taking upon himself the responsibility to answer for whatever failings he has. This is not ritual purity. This is purity in fact. Therefore, they were called after this holy order and were sanctified, and their garments were washed white through the blood of the Lamb. Now they, after being sanctified by the Holy Ghost, having their garments made white, being pure and spotless before God, could not look upon sin save it were with abhorrence. And there were many, an exceeding great many, who were made pure and entered into the rest of the Lord their God, Alma 10, paragraph 1. This describes those who are qualified to stand in the presence of God without sin. They are clean of all blood and sin, righteous forever. He is Christ's, and Christ is the Father's, and all that each of them will be is the same. For we shall see him as he is, because we will be like him. To be like him is to be sanctified. These people are sanctified by the Holy Ghost as a result of having their garments made white. They are pure and spotless before God. This is the reason they can enter his presence. He has accepted them because, just like him, they are without sin. They were not perfected by their own acts. The earlier reference to their repentance makes that clear. They become pure and spotless before God because they have done what was asked of them to become clean. They have repented. Christ sanctifies us, we don't sanctify ourselves. Our righteousness is borrowed from Him. It can be symbolized in this way. He provides a white robe, we put it on, and then he looks upon the whiteness and purity of the robe we received from him and treats us as if the borrowed robe is our condition. We owe him for that. He is willing to proceed with us as if we merited the robe. See 2 Nephi 6, paragraph 5. White Stone Then the white stone mentioned in Revelation 1, paragraph 12 will become a Urim and Thummim to each individual who receives one, whereby things pertaining to a higher order of kingdoms will be made known. And a white stone is given to each of those who come into the celestial kingdom, whereon is a new name written, which no man knoweth save he that receiveth it. The new name is the key word. Since the white stone and new name mentioned in it are referring to the state of exaltation and inheritance, and since the promise which the second Comforter, Christ, is working to obtain for those to whom he ministers is the promise of exaltation, that equivalency may also be made. The difference is that those described in this statement are in a future state in which they have actually inherited the condition of exaltation, have entered into the celestial kingdom to dwell there, and possess the white stone on which their new name is written. Whereas the promises Joseph speaks of in reference to the second Comforter and the promises in TNC 86, paragraph 1 are given to a mortal and are to be realized fully in the future. Whole. Enos 1, paragraph 1 concludes with the remarkable comment from the Lord to Enos, Wherefore, go to, thy faith hath made thee whole. The idea captured by the word whole is akin to the idea of being completed. Enos is no longer a work in process. He has run a good race, finished the course, and can enter into the rest of the Lord. Wicked At his return, the Lord intends to destroy the wicked. Included in the wicked are those who are celestial and therefore cannot endure his presence. These are those who worship men instead of God. They reject a true prophet when one is sent to them. They are liars, adulterers, hormongers, and all who love and make lies. See TNC 69, paragraph 27. These are those who have taken our Lord's name in vain, having not authority, see TNC 50, paragraph 14, and all those who have preached for higher and practiced priestcraft. See 2 Nephi 11, paragraph 17. It was because of priestcraft that the Jews could not recognize Christ, and therefore they rejected and killed him, see 2 Nephi 7, paragraph 1. The false priests always rail against the true ones. In the last days, false prophets will outnumber the true ones, see Mark 6, paragraph 4. Zion will require that all this wickedness comes to an end. Willing to Submit The final quality in Mosiah 1, paragraph 16 of being willing to submit again reminds one of Christ. His knee bent to the Father in all things. And although every knee will ultimately submit to him, many of those kneeling at the last day will do so from fear or regret, although most will do so from gratitude. Submitting to him now, when there is no great persuasion to do so and all of the world may be aligned against his ways, stands as proof one really is willing to submit. Christ asked, And why do you call me, Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Luke 5, Paragraph 13. Calling him Lord is not enough. Willingness to submit requires a willingness to be inconvenienced. Will of the Father If one acquires an understanding of what is right, then by asking for it, one submits to the Father's will. Even if one would shrink from it, beg that it may pass from him, or cower at the thing required, when one asks the Father in Christ's name for whatsoever is right, despite his desire for things to be otherwise, he is going to become one with them. Third Nephi 8, paragraph 8. Then he will be like them and learn the great truth that the will of the Father is indeed whatsoever is right. Wisdom. In Scripture, Wisdom is feminine. See, for example, Proverbs 1, paragraph 38 and Mosiah 5, paragraph 14. In Hebrew it is called. Chachama. Which is a feminine noun. In Greek it is. Sophia, Which is, likewise, a feminine noun. The role of the man is to become knowledge, so as to be able to fulfill a role that is eternal. The role of the woman is to become wisdom, because creation will only move forward if guided by wise counsel and prudent adaptations. Only together do they become complete and therefore one. Alone they are barren and unfruitful, but joined they are infinite, because they continue. Knowledge alone may provide the spark of creation, but it is potentially dangerous when merely energetic. Creation must be wisely assisted to avoid peril. Wisdom alone is not an agent of action. Knowledge can initiate action, but wisdom is necessary to guide and counsel. The physical is a mirror of the spiritual. The seed of man provides the spark of life, but it is the womb of women where life develops. Likewise, the role of the woman in nurturing new life here is akin to the role of wisdom in eternity. Together, man and woman become whole, capable of creating and then nurturing a new creation. Wisdom is the correct application of knowledge. Nothing in this world is more desirable than acquiring wisdom, understanding, and putting knowledge to wise use. Zion will require the wisdom to use pure knowledge in meekness, humility, and charity. Zion will require her influence. Wisdom and prudence go together as companions. Prudence means good judgment or common sense and is the quality of assessing things correctly and making a sound decision in light of the circumstances and persons involved. Prudent judgment is not hasty or unfair. See also the glossary entry, Mary, the Mother of Christ. Woe When one woe is pronounced upon a people, it is a warning of condemnation in this life. It is more concerning when three woes are pronounced upon a people, the connotation being a condemnation that will last beyond this life and into eternity. A threefold condemnation goes beyond this life and will follow those to whom they apply into the hereafter. A threefold woe is pronounced by a power that cannot be altered. World The world and earth are not synonymous terms. The world is the human family. What is the end of the world? The destruction of the wicked. Worlds Without End If men and women will receive what is offered now, they will be added upon forever and ever. In other words, each person moves up the ladder by his or her heat and diligence in the cycle of creation. As they do, they will have so much the advantage in the next cycle. They can choose to move upward and be added upon or choose to remain as they are, worlds without end. Now is part of eternity. Though mortal, man lives in eternity and ought to take this opportunity seriously. The scriptures speak of things that happened before the foundation of the world. 1 Peter 1, paragraph 4, Testimony of John 9, paragraph 20, and TNC 138, paragraph 19 or in the first place. Mosiah 1, paragraph 9 and Alma 9, paragraph 10. Or from the foundation of the world. Matthew 7, paragraph 8, TNC 138, paragraph 19, Revelation 6, paragraph 11. These statements make it clear that what went on before this creation did matter and do affect mankind now. In the same way, What is accepted in this life by one's heed and diligence affects what comes after. This current course of life has been ordained by God and is one eternal round. Lectures on Faith 3, Paragraph 15, TNC 2, Paragraph 1, and Joseph Smith History Part 10, Paragraph 2 Even if one has proven before, he must prove himself again, now. God has been at this a long time. Christ has been involved in many repeated cycles of creation. God's great work has been going through cycles of creation, fall, redemption, judgment, and recreation forever. It is endless. Many unnumbered worlds have been, now are, and will yet be. This is a continual, endless cycle, worlds without end. Ever notice how the pre-earth and the millennium seem alike? Ever wonder what worlds without end means? Ever considered how God's work never ends and yet it has definite increments separating one cycle from the next? God's works are endless. We are His greatest work. He intends to give us immortality and eventual eternal life. How long it will require depends on how long it takes us to become like the prototype of the saved man. See also the glossary entry. For. Ever. Worthy, unworthy If the man is married, his wife must be among the seven women who vote to sustain a man to be ordained and minister outside his own family. If his wife will not sustain him, he is unworthy to provide priesthood service for the fellowship. There is nothing implied in the Word regarding a man standing before God. Within the community of fellowship, until his wife is prepared to support him acting outside the family, his effort should be within his family. The word unworthy is not a statement of condemnation but only of qualification. It was the word the Lord used, and therefore, I do not feel at liberty to change it. See also the glossary entry Sustain. Wrath There are two levels of wrath one is temporal, here and now. The wicked are often punished here by letting them pursue their own evil course until it destroys them. Repentance, in that sense, relieves them of the physical, emotional, social, military, economic, and interpersonal disasters they bring upon themselves by their ruinous pursuit of destructive behavior. The other is eternal, meaning coming after this life. That second wrath is a result of leaving this life with accountability for what happened here and the lack of preparation for the moment when judgment is rendered. That judgment consists of the unrepentant finally facing reality. When you are in his presence, you can accurately measure the difference between what you are and what he wanted you to become, i.e., like him. The gulf is so great that you would rather be in hell than in the presence of a just and holy being when you are stained with the blood and sins of your generation. Mormon 4, paragraph 6. God withdrawing is how his wrath manifests itself. If he withdraws from you, that should be felt keenly as an absence and rejection. God's wrath is poured out and takes a specific form wars and rumors of wars among all the nations and kindreds. 1 Nephi 3, paragraph 29. People go to war. The wicked shall slay the wicked. Teen C 50. Paragraph 8, Proverbs 2, Paragraph 37, and Mormon 2, Paragraph 1. The wicked get to destroy one another, but they do not get to destroy the righteous, see 1st Nephi 7, Paragraph 4. The angel makes a point of stating what Nephi is beholding in 1st Nephi 3, Paragraph 29, Behold, the wrath of God is upon the mother of harlots. How is this God's wrath? The answer is that when God is angry, he withdraws his spirit. See Helaman 2, Paragraph 34 and 5, Paragraph 3. And when he withdraws his spirit from one, he generally pours it out on another. See Helaman 2, Paragraph 34. When his spirit withdraws, men are left to their natural, carnal state, filled with envy, jealousy, covetousness, ambition, and greed. When the heavens become silent, the judgments of God follow. See Revelation 2, paragraph 17 and TNC 86, paragraph 20. Rest. The mingling of Scripture with the philosophies of men, resulting in error. Rest comes from the Old English word raiston, which meant to twist or wrench. The term is further defined by the Greek word. Strevlo which connotes rest with to pervert or to torture language to a false sense. In modern language, rest means to distort, to turn from truth or twist from its natural meaning. This is how it is used in the Book of Mormon. Behold, the scriptures are before you. If ye will rest them it shall be to your own destruction. Alma 10, Paragraph 12 For behold, some have rested the Scriptures and have gone far astray because of this thing. Alma 19, Paragraph 9. The Lord warns that, Satan does stir up the hearts of the people to contention concerning the points of my doctrine, and in these things they do err, for they do rest the Scriptures and do not understand them. Joseph Smith History Part 10, Paragraph 20. The verb rest also means to forcibly take something from another's grasp. Joseph Smith described how John the Baptist wrested the keys, the kingdoms, the power, the glory from the Jews, by the holy anointing and decree of heaven. When Christ came the first time, God took down or wrested from the Jews, a previously established hierarchy using an orderly process, informing us about his house of order. He ordained John to bring it to an end, which put him on a collision course with the hierarchy. John the Baptist was ordained by the angel of God at the time he was eight days old unto this power, to overthrow the kingdom of the Jews, and to make straight the way of the Lord before the face of his people, to prepare them for the coming of the Lord. TNC 82, paragraph 14. For his return, we should expect something similar to his first coming. That is, an orderly takedown of a competing hierarchy using someone ordained to accomplish that end that is put by God on a collision course with the targeted power structure.